Good morning. I'm going to read the, the story that was mentioned here, and I'm interested to see what the sermon is about. Um, so we're reading Joshua 2 today, and it's on page 214 in your pew Bibles. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may be able to catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was in the part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless, when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and your mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in your house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. 
they went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Thank you, Pip. Not sure what happened there. Um, if you're wondering what's happening out in the breezeway between the church and the uh, Daly Smith building, Kieran Kobelke, who is a member here at 10 o'clock, uh, many of you will know Kieran, he's also the full-time scripture teacher uh, that teaches the kids the Bible at Balgala Boys High, a great mission uh, outreach that we have. Uh, to partner with the school, they're raising money for youth mental health and prevention of suicide. And Kieran said, could we partner with them? And I said, that'd be a great thing to do. So do support them if you can afterwards. That's what's happening. And uh, we are, if I can put it this way, a community-facing church. And it's great to be engaged with the community in exercises like this. Let's pray as we come and look at this story of Rahab. Father, we do thank you for your incredible grace towards us. And it's a powerful story that we read this morning. May you just open our hearts to know your love this day in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a question, but I need to get my clicker. Too much happening in my head today. question is this. Um, I don't know if you've thought about this or reflected this, but why do you love God? It's a really important question to reflect on because when you come to the Lord Jesus... He was asked by one of the religious leaders of the day this question. What is the greatest of the commands? And Jesus famously gave this response. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And so one of the most important things I think we can think about is why should we love God? How are our hearts captured by him? When I think about that question, I could give you numbers of reasons. But I reckon the most important one for me and what captures my heart is summed up in one Hebrew word, which you're going to learn today, it's hesed. And hesed speaks of God's kindness, his love, and it's probably one of the ways the Old Testament uses language to speak of his grace. There's no equivalent word for grace in the Old Testament for the New Testament word grace that we're featuring in these stories of grace. And it's God's kindness and love and mercy and grace that opens my heart to him and causes me to sin and wants me to stand here today and tell you that's why I love him. And today we come to a story of grace in the Bible that profoundly reminds us of this truth of God's hesed, his kindness, his mercy, his grace. And it's the story of Rahab. And it's a very powerful story. She became the great-great-grandmother of King David and as a result became part of the family line of the Lord Jesus. And when you read about her in Joshua 2, which is the reading that Pip just read for us, you'd have to say that she is one of the most unlikely people that you would think would become famous and connected with Jesus in history. 
And so if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to have them open. We're going to just work our way through this chapter and then reflect on the New Testament. It's page 214 if you're reading the books uh, under the few seats in front of you or if you've got your devices, Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. And let's just start at verse 1 where the story starts. Chapter 2, Then Joshua son of Nun secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. I was preparing this week and I was thinking, how would you feel as Rahab that you will be forever known as the prostitute? It's interesting, it's not a name that parents tend to give to their young daughters, is it? Let's name her Rahab. She is the prostitute. And for all history, she's inextricably linked to what they call the world's oldest profession. I spoke to our former women's minister who comes here at 10 o'clock. She's actually away at a family engagement today, Kelsey Wilson, married to Andrew. And she worked on staff for numbers of years here. But before that, she was working in a ministry that used to minister the gospel to prostitutes here in Sydney. And she and other women would go and visit the brothels and seek to love them and care for them and actually share the Lord Jesus with them. And I spoke to her this week about Rahab and in particular about this whole issue and area of prostitution. And she said, look, technically a prostitute is someone who exchanges sexual services for payment. And she reflected with me about the reality of prostitution here in the city in Sydney from her own experience. And she said, there's a dichotomous narrative in our modern society about prostitution that on one hand tries to sell us images of empowered women exercising their freedom to make choices about their own bodies, a fulfilling working life and even compassionate service to clients rejected by society. And what stunned me is in recent years, articles in the Sydney Morning Herald seeking to glamorise the profession in some way, shape or form. On the other hand, though, Kelsey said her own experience of visiting brothels and talking to prostitutes in the industry was that these women were denigrated, they were abused, they were stripped of dignity and viewed as less valuable humans than the rest of society. And I suspect that what she observed of prostitution in Sydney was absolutely the case, if not worse, back in Jericho in the time of Rahab. That she was someone less valuable, someone who was used and abused, someone who was absolutely on the outer. And what's interesting to note is verse 1 links... Rahab geographically with an earlier chapter in the story of Israel, Numbers chapter 25. And you've got that odd sounding town, uh, forgive me for my pronunciation, Shittim. And we read that this isn't the first time Israel has been there. While Israel was staying in Shittim, this is in Numbers 25, in a period earlier, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women. And so as you come now to Joshua 2 and you meet another lady from Shittim who is a prostitute, I think the expectation is, if you've been reading through the whole story is, well, here we go again. Here is a woman who will probably, with her sexual charms, lead the spies of Israel away. 
But as you read through this chapter, you couldn't be further from the truth. Rahab the prostitute is in fact this remarkable, courageous woman of faith who's part of an incredible story of God's grace. Is Hesed. We read on, verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. Now, let me just say there's something quite comical about this. I mean, what a spy is meant to be unseen, unknown slip in, slip out. Well, obviously that's not the case. They're the most incompetent spies, I think, in the history of Israel. Everyone knows they're there. The king knows and he knows where they've been to Rahab the prostitute's house. Now, if it seems a bit dodgy that these, you would hope, godly men of Israel are at the prostitute's house, um, I can understand it. There is some logic, though, that they might have gone to Rahab's place, the prostitute. I suspect in that day and age, there would have been any number of travellers from out of town who pr probably frequently frequented places such as this. In the same way, when ships come in with overseas naval uh, seamen, where do they end up? So often they went to King's Cross. And so apparently it may have been a place to hide out as a spy, but they were so incompetent, everyone knew. What happens? Verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. Actually, I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she'd actually taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she'd laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Now, what's fascinating is the text leaves us in no doubt as to what Rahab did. Uh, she was a woman of incredible courage. She's very quick thinking on her feet. But she's basically defying the king, who I take it could have just had her put to death, with just a bald-faced lie. I mean, that's what it's happening. She denied knowing them. She deliberately misled the king's men to go and leave the city in pursuit of them, while at the same time housing them in the roof. And the most generous way you could put it is that she's very, very shrewd lady. <laughs> but let's be honest, she lied. Now, what's fascinating is the morality of this action is not commented on the text. That's not what the narrator wants us to focus on. And let me just say, when you understand what she knew, she's in this insidious position. Whichever way she goes, there's trouble. If she tells the truth and sides with the king, well, what's going to happen? She knows that Jericho is going to be destroyed and her with it. If she sides with God, well, she needs to do what she's done. Now, I'm not here to commend lying, but it is interesting that the text is silent about it. 
What follows is her profound, and I say profound, profession of faith in God. Let me read from verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And then verse 11, which is on the screen, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. It's really interesting from an archaeological point of view, there is very, very little or scant, if any, evidence about the crossing of the Red Sea when Pharaoh's army was wiped out. Let me tell you, it does not surprise me in any way. Which army, king, is going to record the greatest defeat of that nation's history into their books? Well, let me tell you, in that day and age, you do not record that kind of event. History is written by the victors. That's just the reality. But all the other nations around you, what took place, <laughs> there was no doubt about this people of Israel and what their God had done. And the fear of their God had reached Jericho. And Rahab has this opportunity. Who will she side with? Their gods and her king or the God of Israel? And she makes it very plain to these men where her faith lies. And it's based on evidence. I know that the Lord has given you this land. We're all melting in fear. Your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. It is profound. The prostitute from the pagan city of Jericho knew that the God of Israel ruled the world. And then you get her plea, her statement of faith and trust. Now then, please swear to me, and you can just hear the pleading in the voice of Rahab, Swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. You see that word highlighted, kindness? It's the word I mentioned at the very start. Hesed. And it's a word that speaks of God's kindness, his mercy, and it's one of the ways you can translate the word grace from the New Testament, in the Old Testament. And note what Rahab says. Will you please show kindness to my family? God, will you be merciful to us? Will you show us grace in our time of need. Give me a sign. Rahab is putting her faith in God and his mercy and grace. And this is what biblical faith is. It's knowing the God who is the God of heaven and earth and throwing yourself upon his mercy and grace. 
with your life, knowing that he rules the world, life and death, heaven and hell. And the spy's response? Well, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly, hesedly, faithfully, when the Lord gives us the land. And the result is the spies were let down by a rope. They escaped the city. They went back to Joshua. And then the conquest began. And we read this summary in Joshua chapter 6. After the spies have gone back and Jericho is falled, falls. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, the city of Jericho is now fallen. We're in Joshua chapter 6. He said, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out. And all who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. And then we read the concluding verse, verse 25. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. It's an incredible story. The complete outsider is the one God used to give confidence to the spies that Israel could conquer Jericho. And Rahab the prostitute is shown mercy, is shown kindness, is shown grace as God spares her and redeems her by his hesed. And Rahab is a trophy of God's grace. Now, if this is all you read about Rahab in the Bible, you've got a great story, haven't you? I mean, it's an incredible story. There she is, she's part of Israel, family's integrated in as a foreigner into the life of the people of God. But there is more to her story. When you get to the New Testament and you read the first page of the first gospel, Matthew's story about Jesus, he begins with what people often look over, the genealogy. For us, it's just a list of names. For Matthew, it tells a very powerful story. And it starts this way, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the story of who he came from. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And then you get to verse 5. Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And it finishes with Joseph and Mary, his son, is Jesus. And there are four women who are mentioned here out of the list of all the fathers. And they're incredibly all women of, in one way, shape or form, ill repute. You've got Tamar who prostituted herself in order to have a son because of the way she was abandoned and abused by her family. 
You have Rahab here, the prostitute, who I'll come back to. You've got Ruth, who was the complete outsider, the Moabite. And you've got David's concubine, whom he married, Bathsheba. And of all the women mentioned, they're the ones highlighted by Matthew. And what we see here is that Rahab the prostitute is part of the royal bloodline of Jesus, the Son of God. And to understand the profundity of this, because it is profound, I want us to reflect a little bit more on the reality of prostitution and what this would have meant for someone like Rahab. When I gave you Kelsey's description about the reality of prostitution today, she also said this about the world's oldest profession. There is a narrative about prostitution that works very hard to glamorise the industry in the face of social stigmas about the profession. That, as I said earlier, is about empowering women to make choices, to exercise freedoms with their bodies. But Kelsey's observation was that this is typically a lie. The truth today and the truth in Rahab's day was far from glamorous. A University of New South Wales study among sex workers in Sydney about 15 years ago, there's very few done because of very little interest in it, but there was one done in 2006, found in prostitutes in this city high levels of homelessness, high levels of drug use, high levels of mental health conditions like depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, 75% reported a history of child sexual abuse, 50% reported that they had previously attempted to take their own life. The truth of the effects of this trade is that the women who have to engage in it end up with low esteem, self-esteem, regular danger of physical and sexual assault, and the shame and isolation from social stigma. We all probably have an image, she said, that comes to mind when we think of those engaged in prostitution. But it's far from a homogenous group. In the Sydney brothels, I've met university students, mums, retirees, along with some women who've been trafficked. Some do regard it as a job, she said, and see themselves as a professional. But the overriding, motivating factor for almost all of them was survival. Most of them want to get out. And from a societal perspective, working women are typically viewed as worth far less to our society. They are seen as morally compromised, lesser in their social standing, and plagued by low self-esteem and mental health concerns. And to make it worse, in the Old Testament, if you were from the people of Israel and your daughter became a prostitute, it was an absolute disgrace on your family. Not just for the woman, but for the entire family group. And I mention this because it's with a woman just like this that God chose to be part of the royal bloodline for his son. It is profound. Stop and think about that. It's such an incredible story of grace. And what's fascinating is there's two more references to Rahab, in James, 
and in Hebrews, and both championing her for her faith in God. Hebrews, she's listed with the heroes in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The incredible story is, by faith, it says, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. What amazes me about the story of Rahab? It's that God wanted this story to be told and to be known. And God is not ashamed to have Rahab the prostitute in his family bloodline. God wants people to know that no matter how low of you you might have of your life, he sent Jesus to come for you, to find you, and to die for you. And it's interesting because five times she's referred to as Rahab the prostitute. And her prostitution background is not mentioned to define her, but rather to remind us about the kindness and grace of God. Everyone and anyone can come to God through Jesus. And our God delights to take those who've been written off by the world and make them his trophies of grace. I wonder today if you're someone who's written yourself off. Or I wonder if you see yourself as unlovable or someone who is unimportant or someone that people just walk past and away from and not towards. Or you see yourself as someone who has no value in the eyes of others. Or maybe you're someone who is very aware of how you've blown it with God, with things that you have done in your life, with how you've lived and the choices you've made. And you deeply wonder, are you too far away from him? And that whatever it is you've done, you think it's not possible that that can be forgiven. If you ever think that way, I want you to remember this story and never forget it. The story of a social outcast whom God redeemed for his glory and was not ashamed to include him in the bloodline of his magnificent son. Rahab reminds us that God is for the unlovable, for the cast off, the written off, the forgotten ones, the marginalized, the outcast. And no one is beyond his grace and mercy. No one. And no matter what you've done to yourself, what choices you've made, whoever you are, God loves you with his Hesed love. And friends, that's why I love God. And the stories of grace that I keep seeing happening in people's lives, both in the scriptures and in our life today. And if you're here this morning 
and you identify as someone that I've just spoken about, I want you to come to him and put your trust in him and receive his love and his grace and forgiveness this day because he's for you. Let's stop and pray. If you're here this morning and you identify as someone who I've just referred to, unimportant, unlovable, too far away, you're not. And I want you just to cry out to God yourself now and come to him. And I'm going to pray for you very shortly. But let's have some time to cry out to God and to claim his grace and mercy for our lives this day. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this story being in your scriptures. That you are not ashamed of the prostitute Rahab. She's a trophy of your grace and part of the royal bloodline of your magnificent son, the Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord, because of your hesed your kindness and mercy and faithfulness and love and grace and mercy. And I pray for anyone here today who feels on the outer that you would fill them with your love this day, your kindness and mercy and grace. May they know that they are loved by the Lord Jesus. And in his name we pray.